Welcome to Vibe Talk Awaken. I'm your host, Vibe Queen. On the show, we will get to know artists, entrepreneurs, and coaches living life in their truth after experiencing an awakening. We'll talk about their journey, wisdom, and any tools they've learned along their path. Thank you so much for being here. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm super excited for another episode of Vibe Talk Awaken. I'm your host, Vibe Queen. And this week, I'm really excited to have my client and friend, Nick Boscovich, on the show. Uh, before we dive in, I'm going to talk a little bit about him and his background. Um, so after pursuing both law and commercial real estate, he fell in love with juicing and saw there was a need for high quality products right here in Chicago, where we both reside. And that is when he became the visionary founder of High Vibe, a juice which is 100% organic, raw, and vegan. So I'm really looking forward to getting to know a different side of his story today, including what awakened him. So welcome to the show, Nick. How are you feeling? Hi, Tamisha. Thanks for having me. Feeling good. Excellent. So I really want to ask you, and something that I'm really impressed with you for the moment we first started talking, is that you're always very bold and you're very straightforward in your truth and just your views. Have you always been that way or... What made you just kind of speak so freely? Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't, well, I've always been curious. You know, I've always been one to like question everything, I guess. So the questioning of things has been, I think that's like in my DNA. And I think I've gotten maybe bolder and more straightforward uh, with, with age, maturity, experiences. You know, I think that I think confidence comes with that. Amazing. And um, can you share with us a little bit about just your awakening journey? Was it something that was very gradual as far as just what you consider the truth and just what's happening in the world today? Or was it kind of like a, an aha moment was something that kind of just woke you up? Yeah. I, you know, I, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a, there wasn't a defining moment for me. It's been, a you know, I think like, you know, like everything in life, it's a journey. I just think, like I said, I'm inherently like a curious one. I question everything. And being in the space I'm in, this wellness space, I've actually given some thought to this because I've been surprised at how awake the wellness community is. You know, specifically like the, um, I guess more of like the industry, like leaders, kind of trailblazers. You know, people that I've uh, I've gotten to know and built relationships based on you know meeting at at conferences or doing business together or, you know having them into my shops when they're in town. And I've, and I, and I've, you know, those, I, I think because we're all in the wellness space, we're, we're aware of the misinformation, disinformation, lies, whatever you want to call it, that, 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 ha that are so prevalent in, you know, the food systems, the dietary recommendations, the medic, and then that leads into the medical system um, obviously pharmaceuticals being the driver there, but once you, once you kind of like realize like, wait, why are they putting poison in our water? Why are we getting injected with poisons and putting those into small babies and, you know, day one babies. And I think like that, that just snowballs. And then, and then it leads to a point where like, really, you've got to question everything. So for me, it's been, it's just been a journey. And thankfully I, I really started diving deeper probably back in like, I would guess like 2018, I think. And, um, you know, really it's like the moon landing hoax and, 
And then that leads to flat earth. And then, and then it just, you know what I mean? It's, It's never ending. It is a rabbit hole for sure. So I felt like I was a little bit better prepared for 2020 when it started because, you know, not that like we knew what was going to happen, but there was a, there was a sense of there were going to be big changes coming in the world. And as we see, looks like the old world isn't coming back anytime soon. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. As I was kind of uh, doing a little bit of research and uh, just kind of getting to know you and listening to another podcast you did, it was very interesting. I, I didn't realize you had a background in pursuing law and real estate, very similar to myself. And it's it's interesting that I find that when you pursue other things, that's when you realize, oh, this is not what I want to do. And so can you share with us what made you just go all in in different career paths and then have the courage to say, you know what? Nope, this is not what I'm going to do. Because so often you see people that end up becoming lawyers or they stay in real estate for 10, 15 years and they're not happy. They're not fulfilled. And you took such a big risk starting you know, a company from nothing with no, like I said, background in business. So can you share with us what, what made you have the courage to just walk away and start over? Yeah, I... Uh... You know, the law, the law intrigued me. And I, I was, I was always one who, you know, I was never a fan of school. I, you know, I was just actually recounting this with uh, my wife the other day of like, I was in trouble every single report card of my life. You know, <laughs> like I didn't, I, and it wasn't because I didn't want to do good. I just had a hard time paying attention. And now looking back, like, yeah, I'm just not built for indoctrination, I guess. Um, but law, in, you know, when I started college, law was what I, it intrigued me the most. I think mm-hmm. like I, I could, I had the easy, I, it was the easiest for me to pay attention to. And I think it really boiled down to, you know, my, my like, you know, innate desire to know my rights, you know, what, what they can do, what they can't do, what I right. can do, what the, you know what I mean? So that's why I stuck with law and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to get into. I had a professor my freshman year that was like really, uh, really impressive. He was a criminal attorney and he, and he was teaching classes at NAU and Flagstaff and not. And I was just like, yeah, like this guy, I don't know. It seemed like, you know, like I, I like he was on the same frequency as me. So, um, so I thought that was what I wanted to pursue. And then once I graduated college, I was back in Chicago and I was ironworking and really like, you know, prepping for the LSAT, which is like the, you know, the administ the admissions test for law school. And and I, was, and I wasn't like totally sure, you know, like just because I like the classes didn't, you know, I was realizing like I might not like the work. So I took, I, I took, I did, took the LSAT, did fine. I took a paralegal certification course because it was recommended to me by some attorney friends that were, that, you know, like mentors, like family friends. Mm-hmm. They're like, it'll be a lot like what you're, it'll give you a taste of what your first year of law school right. would look like. And also serve as like a little pressure, you know, from undergrad. And I did that and I realized like, this isn't for me, this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to be like researching. And then you learn like the dynamics of, you know, being a young attorney and how you are kind of like a little bitch for, you know, whatever (laughs) firm or whatever partners you're working for. And uh, I don't know, it just lost its luster, decided like, that's not really what I want to do. So real estate, I had, I think I'd, I'd, I'd gotten intrigued by real estate just because like while I was you know, while I was kind of deciding what I was going to do, my dad had kind of like planted the seed like, hey, find, you know, go find good properties, a, a good building in the city that we could invest in, you know, because he knew I was going to be renting in the city now for the 
foreseeable future. And that's really how it started. And I really like, I really like loved it. Love like of how every every property is unique, you know, inherently unique. And uh, so then I thought commercial real estate that makes sense. It's and I, and to be honest, like I think because uh, commercial real estate sounded like a little bit more, you know, a little bit a little bit more professional than than residential. You know, like there's so many residential agents. So um, I got into that and with a big firm downtown Chicago and started off as a office broker representing tenants, which would be like, you know, it could be a law firm, could be an accounting mm-hmm. firm, a little bit of retail, a little bit of industrial, but mostly office space. And it was cool. It sounds like not that cool, but it was, you know, the people in that industry are, are like big personalities and they kind of, uh, you know, they, they have fun, a lot of fun also. And I really, I, I like that. I like the hunt for the, you know, finding the, the perfect, you know, the perfect spot for my client. And, and really like, I like thinking outside the box, maybe presenting some, some ideas, whether it be like location or size or whatever, that was maybe a little bit different than they were thinking. And so I liked the, I liked the work, what I did not like and became really obvious very early on was the office, the office dynamic. I didn't like being in an office. I didn't like, uh, you know, I was coming from like iron working, which is very, you know, kind of like high testosterone, high masculine energy all around. And then I'm in this office. With your hands. Like, yeah. Yeah. And like, and there was, <laughs> you know, and, and like men, like, you know, there was a, there was, there was like an inherent respect and, you know, and if you didn't have that respect, like you would pay for it. And in the real estate office was different. Like, you know, you had to worry about your boss ripping you off. And, right. you know, the guy next to you, you know, trying to weasel into a deal or, or, or bump you out of a deal or whatever. So it was just like, it wasn't for me. You know, I felt kind of like a caged animal. Gotcha. Honest. Yeah, no, I, I had the exact same experience. You know, I didn't go as far as you, as far as the LSAT and paralegal, but my major was criminal justice for two years, but all I was doing was focusing on music and the arts and, you know, and then I did real estate for a couple of years. So I, I had a very similar path as you, but one thing I think we can both agree on is those experiences probably very much prepared you for now what you're what you're doing now, yeah. which which is what I want to ask you about as well. So the journey to to high vibe and and inevitably what connected us. What made you take the the leap of faith and say, you know what, I'm just going to go all in on me. I think so often, you know, we we don't take a chance on ourselves. We're willing to put in those forty hours a week for an employer just to get that paycheck and trade our time for a paycheck, but we're not willing to pull the trigger on ourselves. And so what made you say, you know what, I'm just going to take out every single credit card and line of credit or whatever, and just take a chance on me and see where this goes. Um, I would love to hear that story. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to be honest, it was, it was, you know, as cliche as it sounds, I think like, I think the I think high vibe found me, you know. I I really like when I think back to those days when I was when I was doing both of those you know previous careers, whether it was ironworking or um, the real estate. Like for whatever reason, the my, in the morning when I would be like tying my shoes, putting my work boots on, whatever, whichever whether it be the dress shoes or the work boots, that was what I I always remember thinking to myself like, oh, what the fuck am I doing, you know? And not to like feel sorry for myself at all, but just like knowing that I, I just knew that I wasn't, I wasn't, pers- I wasn't 
you know, like I wasn't pursuing my purpose. And so I was like, you know, I was always looking for something at that point. I didn't realize that I was creative. I don't think at all. Like I, that wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't something that was talked about as much back then either, maybe, but you know, I would, I'd always been into healthy cooking and eating and, you know, go along on that journey. Think about like that food pyramid literally is upside down and, um, right, and right. learning and, and how, you know, it was, I was probably my thirties before I realized that. So juicing, you know, had been, had been something that I was exposed to after, after getting more into healthy eating, you know, I dabble, dabbled in all the diets, you know, raw food, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, gluten-free, of course. And, and along that journey, uh, my cousin's very much in health and he, he had ever done a juice fast. So, um, I hadn't, uh, sounded cool. So I bought a juicer and really got into juicing and not really like, I wasn't really like into like making delicious or beautiful recipes or, you know, high level flavors or balancing, none of that. It was really about like the, I was results driven. So I didn't care what it looked like. Most often it probably looked black. Um, <laughs> friends, family thought I was crazy, but like the way it, the way it made me feel was what I got hooked on, you know? So at, and at that time, there was a movie that had come out, um, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a documentary. No, I've seen it. Okay. And, um, and that movie, I believe, was what really, like, sparked the juice industry. You know, the fact that, like, place, you know, concepts started started opening on Old Press Raw Juice. And uh, at that time, I was single. I was juggling the two careers. And um, it sounds fancy calling them two careers. And I was traveling. And I, you know, I went to school in the, I went to school in Arizona. So I have a lot of friends in the West coast, some in Florida. So wherever I would go, I would seek out what's the best juice spot because that was now part of my routine every morning. And in doing so, I was exposed to all these different concepts. You know, the bottling of cold pressed juice was a new thing. Packaging of cleanses was a new thing. And I really liked that the, these places were all, all unique, you know, like, I mean, they had a lot of things in common. They were mostly they're almost all of them were strictly raw vegan and the branding was typically, you know, something like yoga themed or maybe like a farmhouse kind of theme or some sort of hippy dippy theme. And as I was, as I was frequenting these places and really intrigued by them and kind of, I guess, studying them, you know, like mm -hmm. subconsciously studying them, I, I found myself critiquing them just in my own head, but found myself critiquing them and, just thinking about like what I would do different, what I thought they were like missing. You know, I thought like, you know, like these places are all like raw vegan, but that's not what these, their customers are. Like you could tell, like they're just, they just want to look and feel good. So then I would come back to Chicago and it was basically back to me and my kitchen with my juicer. And then and that just like, you know, the wheels just started turning. I was like thinking like, man, I should do this. Like, I feel like I could do this like as good as anybody. And Chicago being like a foodie town, I thought it was like, I thought it was like good timing and, and like something that would be embraced by, by the city. So that's it really, so really taking a leap, it almost felt like, well, it felt very right. So it wasn't scary. It was really exciting. The whole process for me was exciting. Um, and I felt like kind of like the clock was ticking, you know, like I needed to find what I was going to do because I knew the things I was doing was not, I wasn't happy. and. Mm -hmm. To me, they were just stops along the way, you know, so 
the juice, the, you know, the juice game really, really grabbed me, I think. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Something you mentioned before and something I realized in working with you is that you realized that you are an artist. And it's very interesting when you shared that with me, because I've always known I'm, I'm an artist, you know, like just mm -hmm. from the moment I was pretty much born, I was singing, dancing, I'm a creative type. And so when you realized you you were an artist, and I, I remember hearing you um, went to a Tony Robbins event, and that's when you kind of made that realization. How did that shift things for you when you recognized, oh, being a manager is kind of on the bottom? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like did things drastically change for you when you realized, oh, I'm a visionary and I'm an artist. Can you kind of share that process for you? And did it make things easier? Um, it did. I, I think, I don't know about easier, but it, it made things clearer, I would say. Okay. You know, like before that, before, and, and that really was part of a journey into like, you know, how do I grow this business? How do I be better at being this founder, president, manager, whatever you want to call it, the mm -hmm. head, the, the you know, the leader of this company. Right. And really I was, I think like I was searching for like, like, why is it so hard for me to do some of these things? And why do I, you know, inherently procrastinate all those things, <laughs> but these things I just do. And I don't even, they don't even need gotcha. to be done or I'm over obsessing on these things. And it's, and so it made it a lot clearer, like the way I'm wired, you know, to learn that, that, okay, I'm the artist. That means that, you know, and, and the way that that was, um, identified in that exercise was like, he was just explaining, like, you know, if you're the artist of your company, then you care more about the quality, the product. Like it's, it's maybe it like, I think part of it was like that it's nothing's ever done. It's always like a masterpiece in progress. And I was like, mm. Oh my God, I'm an artist. I'm not really an entrepreneur. Like entrepreneurs <laughs> like next manager way at the bottom. So it's, I think it's really helped. It's been it's been freeing in a way because I, I less hard on myself, you know, because understanding like, Oh, I suck at these things because I'm supposed to, cause I'm awesome at these things. So like learning that was really, I, I, I think I started going a little bit, yeah, a lot easier on myself instead of beating mm -hmm. myself up. Like, like, what am I lazy? What do I like? Why can't mm -hmm. I do these things? Why don't I get these things done? And you in a way, like there's certain things that I like love and will dive into and like, I'll, think about them and work on them 24 hours a day. And then there's other things that like I'll procrastinate them to death, you know? So learning how I'm wired has helped me to fill my voids, like identify my weaknesses and then hire accordingly, basically surround myself with people that, that are very strong in the things that I'm not. That's like, that's what I've learned along the way. And it's been, it's been a, a huge blessing. I love that. And so for those of you listening, you gotta you gotta become real with yourself and stop being in denial. Because um, I can completely relate with you, uh, Nick. There's a long period where I would just be in denial with myself and would try to do everything myself. Um, and then I would have that negative self-talk that you talked about. Like, you're lazy, you're this, you're that. And it's exactly what you just said. So I'm really glad that you shared that. Something I want to talk about um, that you mentioned that I thought was really profound. Um, you mentioned that when 
I'm going to call it the plandemic, okay, uh, hit Good. that you felt that it um you felt that it it didn't happen to you, it happened for you. And I thought that was such a powerful perspective because I I agree 100%. For me 2020 was arguably the best year of my life. It allowed me to pivot in so many ways, including this podcast that we're talking about right now. Um yeah. so can you share with us what made you have that perspective like no, this didn't happen to us. This happened for us. Okay, well, I got to first give props to Mr. Tony Robbins because that is a, <laughs> I think that's a Tony Robbins thing. I think that's where I first like heard that. But, okay. but when it, when it first started, it, I mean, and, and I think it's true as true today as it was a year ago. It's a little bit more annoying now after, you know, nearly a year of this nonsense, but it truly felt like it was happening for us in so many ways. Like I would have to, I, I could rattle off like endlessly the number of things, but for us, we had two locations at the beginning of 2020, and one was one was our flagship, our first loca- our first store that we opened up on Kinsey, which is in River North in Chicago, and then our second location was in the Merchandise Mart, which was which is essentially across the street, right? Largest one of the largest buildings in the country, huge number of people in and out. Our location was like right next to the CTA. I knew it was a crazy move. It was either going to be genius or it was going to be like a major misstep. Turned out it was a misstep. Two stores, you know, in a uh, two niche, two stores in like a niche business like ours was too close to each other. We just cannibalized sales. So the merchandise mart was a short lease. It was due to expire at the end of March. So we had already begun construction on our, I guess would have been our third location mm-hmm. up here in Lakeview on Ashland. And, and that was going to replace the merchandise mart. So it was already planned that that location was going to close. As soon as our lease was up at the end of March, we were out. So when it first, when, when I guess like the first action that really like affected our day to day, when we like actually started paying attention to this Sharona was when they, when they, I think it was March 16th or 17th, they that was when there was like shutdowns, like they shut down buildings in Chicago. Merchandise Mart was one of them and they just shut it down. So we had, our business was shut. That location was shut down. So it forced, it really forced us to put all of our attention on Kinsey, which was a blessing because, you know, we had been divided like that, that location at the Mart, like split us up, like, most of our attention was there, even though it like didn't perform like the like the other one. We we used their the food hall there like as a co-working space. So I we had a lot of meetings there. That's where we worked from on the you know on a day-to-day basis. And it was also our commissary, our production kitchen. So that was like where most of the most of our, our planning and work was going on, even though Kinsey was the place that was doing all the sales essentially. So right. when we kind of closed the mart early to put all of our team together in one space again. It hadn't been that way for three years. And oh, wow. it was it was great to have everyone like, it's like there's something about, you know, having a whole team working in one space under one roof. There's some magic that comes with that. So high vibe. <laughs> and we would, and like out of principle, we would have never closed the merchandise mart early. You know, mm-hmm. it, we just wouldn't have like, we're paying this crazy rent. We're going to, you know, we're going to get every, every, you know, every, juice every sell every <laughs> bottle of juice possible out of there for through the end of it right so 
So it felt good to like shed that a couple weeks early, get off, get have everyone focused on Kinsey and also on delivery. Like we, mm. I, you know, it was obvious to me that we needed to, you know, upgrade our technology and accessibility for our guests. And so, you know, that with that's delivery, that's that's like the online ordering experience. We had an app that was like through our, our point of sale and but that was really the extent of it. And like that app was used for like placing your order for pickup, like right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing like delivery and, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like an e-commerce site where you could be ordering for like the week or for delivery home, nothing like that. So besides putting all of our attention on Kinsey, it also put, it pushed this technology, you know, it made it like an immediate necessity. So we put a lot of attention on that right away. We identified like, whoa, our website like doesn't even sell anything. Like we need that to be an e-commerce site. So it's a place to buy and that, and we could, we could facilitate delivery everywhere. And that's, that's really like the approach I took. I just like, it made me really step into a leadership role because I don't know, it just, it just like naturally put me into it. And like up until then I had kind of like, I had kind of like, I don't want to say take, taking a back seat, but like. I wasn't really like an acting face of the, of the brand voice of the brand, even though I was the one making all the decisions and the creative and really, you know what I mean? I was running it and directing it, but I'm like, I had, I'd always had some, you know, um, there was a couple ladies that worked for me that one was a dietitian and was a health coach and they helped a lot with the marketing and essentially like they were the face of our marketing efforts, you know? I mean, I would be in the photo shoots and things, but not not like not like a vocal active like leading voice or face and right and when this you know when the pandemic hit it was like there was it's just i don't know i just like stepped right into that role so i got really active on on instagram um you know stories i was i started delivering all over the city like all over chicagoland and we had no parameters so it was basically the directive was like we'll make it happen no matter, unless it's like crazy, we're not driving like three hours to meet so, to deliver to somebody. But if it's if it's you know within an hour or so, we'll make it happen. So I just started delivering, um, and it started with like friends, family, and then clientele. A lot of people left the city and went to their to stay with family in the suburbs. So mm. so that's who we got the support from at first. It was a lot of family. It was a lot of friends. Um, that were all in the su- a lot of them were in the suburbs, and a lot of our clientele that were staying in the suburbs, and then that also w- what came with that is like, you know, a natural a kind of natural progression for a lot of people in the city is once they you know get married, they want to start a family. A lot of them relocate to the suburbs, so all of a sudden we were getting delivery orders from some of those people that we hadn't maybe served in in a year or two downtown, but now they're in these suburbs that I'm now delivering to. So Got it was it. like this really organic um kind of like growth and and the support that we got was amazing and um i'm forever grateful for it because you know i don't think we would have made it through that time i mean i know we wouldn't have you know like i mean not not without a yeah not without a ton right. of that um but everything like like it every the noise quieted you know like like um uh, the, the, the all of 2020, I think like some of the greatest takeaways is that a lot of the noise was quieted and it really helped me. And I think most people 
it, it helped us to like clearly identify and reprioritize our lives and and you know and our values and um and all of a sudden it became really easy to make decisions and maybe like you know cut things out of the operation or out of our day-to-day that didn't really make sense but we were maybe scared to to you know make that move or oh, what would the reaction be and all of a sudden it was like just kind of felt like an apocalypse and it's like dude we're doing what we got to do and that's it you know this is what makes sense to us this is what we're doing this is the way it is so i don't know I, yeah I, I, no I you, you make a lot a of good sense. ramble no it's and i appreciate it because it's going to lead me to my next my next question and it's it's kind of what got you and i to start working together and um it's 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 interesting because i remember when you and i were talking and i left your shop i was like oh my god he's either going to never talk to me again or we're going to have an amazing partnership. I remember it was either one way or the other, because I was like on a rant with all of my views and opinions, which Mm -hmm. you're very similar to me. And so one thing that I really loved about you, like I was just like, yes, you didn't post a black square. And so I want to talk about that because I remember when all of that happened, I myself posted it for like, I posted it at like midnight and then I woke up and I deleted it because I was like, you know what? something in me. There's just, I feel like there's something around it, you know, and I did my research and I was like, no, just more propaganda. And so when I was talking about you and you're a business owner, you know, I don't, I didn't at the time have like an actual business business. And so for you, that's kind of risky. And I know you got a lot of backlash. And I I remember you mentioning that a new station even came and, you know, your, your uh, location also got looted. So can you just share with us a little bit about that and what was going through your mind because it's a powerful stance to take and you're still standing and so I I applaud you for that. Yeah. Well, I didn't I didn't really like make it my you know, my hill to die on or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I was I was already familiar with I I guess like the what what the what the BLM movement really was, you know, like it it sure it's black lives matter, of course they matter, right? But the fact that it's it's a you know it's this shell movement that's funded by very nefarious characters that have nothing to do with like you know the betterment of black lives at all. It's like a George Soros thing. That was um, I mean it's even emotional for me to think about now for me to like recount that time because you know we were just fighting for our lives like the, the, our business's life at that point and. Um, and when I say that point, I'm, I'm talking about like, say the month of May, you know, April, May, and things became really, really heated when, with the, with the George Floyd thing. And, um, and I'm going to say thing because to me, that was like one of the fakest things I've ever seen. You know, like there's a lot, like a lot of these, these events that were shown that are shown on te- television. I don't know why like more people don't see it for the, for the fake obvious fakeness that it is like they're driving an agenda and every movie I've seen in my life looks more real than a lot of these, these events. Like the, the thing with the Capitol the other day, like to me that looked, that looked as fake and staged as could be like, that's acting. That's acting. Those are like, you could just tell like people's voices, the way they're talking to each other, the way they're interacting, like, you know, you know when something's like organic, real, or if it's staged or scripted, you know? So I didn't really pay too much attention to that. You know, I was really focused on, you know, providing for my family, keeping the business alive, keeping my, 
my team employed, you know, gainfully employed. And, but the tensions got not, you know, got dialed up fast and, and, and hard. And, um, and when the, you know, protests turn into riots and looting, our Kinsey location, that, that intersection of LaSalle and, uh, and Kinsey was pretty much the epicenter of that for several nights. I think, I think it was like really like two or three nights in a row, I think three nights in a row. And we weren't, we, my wife and I, we weren't in the city when that happened. We were, we were at my folks in Indiana because that was kind of my thing. We would go, I would take deliveries on the way, do deliveries all the way into Indiana, deliver to my family and friends out there. And I would stay at my at my mom's for a, a couple of days. Then we come back to the city, and then I do that again the next week. And I believe it was a Friday night, and I was uh, Friday or Saturday. And I remember, like, I was like, we don't watch TV, we don't watch television at all. Like, scratch that. Well over a year ago, uh, probably a couple of years ago now, and. It's amazing how beautiful life becomes mm-hmm. when you cut that noise and that yeah, I don't watch, that, I don't mind watch control, <laughs> that, that mind control out of your life. It really does. Like, you know, so I so I remember like we were packing up because we were gonna, you know, we didn't want to deal with traffic or, or packing in the morning. So we're like, hey, let's pack up, we'll head back to the city now. So it was like I believe it was a Friday evening. And we're packing up and my mom and stepdad are very much plugged into the matrix and they're like, like, oh, aren't you worried about the the riots and I'm like, no, we'll be fine. It's like we're, we we live on you know Lincoln Park. It's all good. So packed up our stuff. We were driving into the city, and there was it was it was like it was kind of it was surreal. There was cars and motorcycles like flying down the highway like well over 100 miles an hour like the whole time. It was it was very bizarre. Like holy shit! I'm like. You know, I got a I got a one year old daughter and my wife in the back seat, and I'm trying to just like you know, I guess just focus and get us there. But I didn't put two and two together yet until I got home. I didn't, you know, I was like, whoa, people are fucking nuts today. Got home, and we turned on we we dot we dialed in to one of the news stations just to see like on our on our phones, and there was like a live feed that was it looked like it was showing a CVS. It was like, I don't know, being lit on fire. And we're looking, and my wife's like, that's that's by Kinsey. I'm like, no, no, it says Wells. And then I realized, like, oh my God, they have the address wrong. That is by our store. So we put on we so we pulled up, we have camera system on our phones. So we pulled up the video, and it was almost like exactly when exactly when we turned it on, we also got the alarm alert. And it was like, oh, the you know broken window alarm went off and then and then we were watching the video and literally like you know i mean people just like dozens and dozens of people in and out of the shop and they were wow stealing stuff breaking stuff really just like looking to cause damage right um and so we went through that that was like really gut-wrenching that whole night you know there was no sleep that night really it went on for several hours. One of my friends was actually, like, fortunately, like, he was down there. He was kind of like, he's kind of a, a thrill seeker. And he was, he was like down there just like observing what was going on. And when he saw that high vibe was broken into, he went over and was trying to like shoot people out and kind of protect it. And it was really scary. You know, like I, I appreciated what he was doing for us, but I was, we were also like really worried that 
he was going to get hurt, you know, yeah, of course. mobs of people. And there was, you know, like anything, it was, seemed like anything goes. So, um, he kind of like fended people off for a couple hours, but then he, he left and then more people came through and really like, you know, I was trying to call, you know, we were calling the police ridiculous that we were even what we were even thinking, but like, I was trying to call like a board up company and it was like, you know, three in the morning in the middle of like riots downtown. So no one was trying to, you know, go into that to do anything. So, so we went through that. That was really gut wrenching, you know, to see and, and really emotional for us to watch watch our business that we love so much just be ransacked, you know. And it was like very violated is the feeling right. is, I guess, is I guess like the the way I describe it. And um, and then the next day we went down there to clean up. My manager Eric and I, and it was it was a really bizarre scene. It was like. I mean, there was like cars upside down and like burned and oh, street wow. lights down, street lights down. There was just like, I mean, I don't know. It looked like something you would see in a movie scene or like even a video game. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And um, so we were cleaning up and it was really bizarre sight downtown because there were a lot of people walking around with cameras and like, like that's what they were doing, you know, like they were just down there to take pictures and you could tell right. some of them were, you know, were obviously part of the carnage the night before. And they were like taking pictures of probably what they did. There was other people that were just like, I don't know if they're like voyeurs or what, but they were like a lot of, a lot of pictures, a lot of cameras going on. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pick up and put together my, my store. And it was really, it was, it was, very agitating, you know, to be like having people like reaching and taking pictures nonstop. Um, Recording history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and then, uh, and then, but we also had like the neighbors, you know, that were coming by and they were like, many of them like in tears or choking up, extending their, their sorrow, their condolences, whatever you want to call it, you know, you know, that basically they were sharing in our pain, offering to help. Um, so that was good. You know that that felt really good to see that, um, but then shortly after that was I did well. Okay, so I guess like during that, somebody, you know, one of these reporter types like came in and he stuck a microphone, you know, through our through our one of our broken windows and was like asked me a question about something and I wasn't really paying attention and I was I was heated, you know, I was pissed, I was mad at what was going on because I saw how. People were being played. You know, this was a this was a, a divisive agenda. This was the puppet masters up top putting us, you know, um, pitting us against each other. And so I was I was very um, I was very frustrated and emotional, of course. And I don't even remember what the guy asked me. He asked me something, and I gave some some answer about like you know maybe let the let the police do their fucking job or something like that. And it got that. It was and it was on like some very small local something. I don't even know what what the publication was. Um, but then later on that that even that was like really like the extent of any interview I did. And then later that afternoon, we got an email from Fox News that they wanted to have me on as a guest. Um, I guess to talk about like our you know that our store, the looting in Chicago, the the riots, the protests, whatever. And I, like my initial reaction was like, no, like I care less about Fox News. Um, and 
and then after like talking to my team, explaining like what the, what they, you know, what they wanted, they're like, you got to do it. Like any, any, uh, you know, any coverage is, is Mark, it could only help, you know, and it could only help the business. So, so I decided to do it and they had me on and it was funny. I almost turned it down again because then they told me like, Oh, we need you to be on at three thirty AM or 3 a.m. And I was like, 3 a.m.? No one's going to even see that. Like, I'm not staying up all night for that. Like, I didn't sleep the night before. So, right. so then they explained, like, well, no, this is going to be, like, nationally syndicated. It'll be it'll be shared on different channels or different time zones or whatever, different times throughout the day. So I did it, you know, hardly any sleep. I, you know, just did, like, a short interview. And it was basically they just asked, like, what had, ha- you know, what would have happened? What was it like? Was there you know, any coming together of the community, you know, basically what would you, what you would, uh, what you would expect to hear on, on, you know, a national news station, I guess. And, uh, so I did that and, and our, you know, my team like shared that like on our social media channels and shortly after it was brought to my attention that there was people that were commenting that calling, uh, calling me racist because I did this interview, I guess, because it was on Fox news is why I'm a racist. And then, uh, which, you know, I kind of blew it off because everything was so polarized uh, back then. And, and, you know, and it was very easy to be called a racist unless you were like jumping on the soapbox and, you know, screaming, you know, like, I guess, getting behind Black Lives their, Matter. their cause. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then like very, very shortly after all of this, or after this, this, you know, basically looting of my store, which our business was closed. We were, I think we were closed for what I think it ended up being 15 days while we had to repair, we had to order new equipment to, you know, to, to replace. Um, that's when the black square movement uh, happened. And, you know, we weren't, there was, I don't, I mean, I never even considered it because like I said, from well before 2020, like I, I was aware of the, the nefarious characters and agenda behind the, the, the BLM movement, you know? Right. So, you know, and I, and I wasn't like trying to like, you know, I wasn't like on a mission to like wake people up or like, or like argue against it or point it out, especially then because shit was so tense, mm-hmm. but um, just our lack of conforming with that, did bring some attention and then then it was then it was brought then then there was a group of uh a group of young ladies the fitness industry that were calling for a boycott of high vibe uh because of our lack of black square in our account i guess on our instagram anti-racist yeah um so you know, that was just something we had to go through. We had, we had to go through and like, you know, I, and, and for, for a couple months there, I, that was like, you know, the couple months leading up to that, maybe two, three months leading up to it, I had gotten like really comfortable being vocal, being the face, like, you know, doing, I guess like sharing the journey of high vibe and a small business, a wellness brand like us, like, you know, like, I guess like charging through, you know, this difficult time that we were all facing. And, um, and when I, when I started, you know, catching those arrows from, from this, like, you know, being called a racist, people mm-hmm. call a boycott of the brand, like that, it shook me more than I, more than I, I like to admit it, to be honest. It did like, there was, um, there's probably a week or two where I went kind of dark on social media cause I needed to like 
I don't know, just like figure out what, because all along the way, you know, people are, you know, people are chiming in like, oh, you should just keep it like just strictly high vibe. And it's like, dude, I'm just keeping it real, you know, like right. I don't, I don't know whatever you. I want to talk about, you know, whatever feels relevant. But that was scary. And like, not so much like being called a racist. I didn't really like, you know, I don't need to justify my or or explain my, you know, yeah, I, I guess like my lack of racistness or my lack of whatever um, to anybody. Right? You know what I mean? I didn't feel like that was really, that didn't really bother me nearly as much as like the call for a boycott of my business. That really right. did. Well, that's hitting you your know, pockets, how you feed your family. Well, yeah. yeah and like, I mean, my team, you know, like right. this, employees, this, right. this, this employs a lot of people. So, so that was, that was, I think what really shook me. And, um, and yeah, like I had to kind of dig deep and like, I guess like reevaluate like what was happening and the timing of things and like what, you know, what, how I was going to react or respond or if I was mm-hmm. gonna, or if I was just going to like yeah. give it a rest right. and then get back I, on I, it you now. I totally hear you. And you're kind of, we're kind of seeing a trend in that with businesses as well. And I had to go through that as well as an artist. I noticed that with my own Instagram, like, okay, which side am I going to take? And I, I found that a lot of people don't want to take a side. And it's almost like we were pushed and forced to because I started seeing a lot of posts. Oh, I see my friends are silent. If you're silent, you're choosing the side of the oppressor. So it's almost like, whoa, okay. Like mm-hmm. I have to say something because if I don't say anything, you're already a racist or you're not anti-racist. And I remember I had one of my best friends message me because he has a very profitable business. And he literally messaged me because he was like, I, I didn't say anything. And I have people calling me a racist simply because I haven't said anything. And, you know, he's white and he has friends of all backgrounds and cultures. And, you know, he's in the music industry and he's like, my page doesn't even call for that. Like, it's just not relevant, you know? And so he felt this enormous pressure because people were DMing him, calling him a racist simply because he hasn't spoken out. And I'm like, wow, the world is really in a weird place. And I found myself and I'm biracial I was called all kinds of names and I've been accused of hating myself because I didn't buy into that narrative. And I was just like, wow. And it's interesting because even before all of this happened, I remember on my Facebook page, I was sharing that this was a fueled race war. And I literally mapped out how this race war was going to be used as an agenda. And it's going to be used over and over again. You're going to see this is going to be a reoccurring theme that's going to be used at a drop of a dime whenever they want to, because it's a trigger wound within the black community. And I, um, you're going to see it over and over again. And now you can see right with this whole thing at the Capitol, immediately they turned it into a race issue. Like I saw mm-hmm. celebrities talking about, oh, if it was black people storming the Capitol, we know what would have happened. It would have been a massacre. And I'm just like, wait, how did this turn into a race issue? And then, you know, if you do a little bit of research, I don't know if you knew this, I didn't even know this, Apparently the Black Panthers actually did storm the Capitol back in 1967 and they were armed and they were not shot at. So I'm like, wait a minute, there's a huge disconnect here. Do people even know this? So there's just so much happening right now. And it's interesting that basically if you're a free thinker, or if you challenge the narrative, they're silencing you and they're shutting you up. And so 
it's just really, really interesting that I'm seeing small businesses kind of take a stand. And that's why I'm excited. I want to kind of shift the conversation to to your podcast as well. And that's what we're kind of building and how well, you're able to kind of amplify your voice in a unique way where it's not so much that you're trying to wake people up or be bold or trigger people with your high vibe brand, but you're just kind of sharing, you know, honest conversations through um, just talking about truth and just sharing topics so people can consider other narratives. And I think that's really cool. So let's talk about that a little bit. So your podcast, The Bosco Show, what kind of conversations are you going to have on there? Well, I'm excited. I, I, I'm blessed to, to I guess, know uh, a lot of really, uh, really interesting, intriguing. And, um, and I, so I wanted to do a show for a while. Um, I, I really planned on it. Um, I started planning it, I guess, like not, not taking any action other than, you know, knowing that I was going to pursue it probably, <laughs> probably about a year and a half ago, to be honest. And this year though, it, it really became, I guess, clear. And I, and it, my, I guess like my motivation behind it, I, I've, I guess like the purpose behind it, um, became a little clearer and that, and it didn't really change like the approach I wanted to take. I just, I just wanted to have like you know, interesting, intriguing conversations with, with, you know, different people from all different walks of life. And, but given the polarized, you know, crazy change of like massive change of life that we're all experiencing right now. Um, I think it was, I think it's really, the timing is right on. And, and, you know, I, like I said, I started down this truth journey at least a couple of years ago. And I now, I, you know, like I said, I, I'm blessed to have, have started that journey earlier because I was a little bit ahead of the curve. So, you know, I was questioning everything for the last year and, you know, especially everything, the mainstream narrative, it's really easy for me to like see through it now. And, and, but along the way, you know, I've been vocal about like what I think is fake and what is, you know, how people are, are really like just being puppeted, you know, like their feelings, like everything we see on television has either been created or selected to control our values, our feelings, our priorities, you know, our everything, everything it's mind control. So I wanted, so I think now what became clear is that what I need to do, because along this way of sharing my, you know, how I think this is fake or this is bogus and, you know, this is inverted um, and why, like, I want to share that, like, what, like, like, let's have a conversation. Let me show you guys, like, I'm not crazy. Let me show you like why, how I got to this belief that I'm at, like why, you know, why I know that to be untrue. So that's like, that's, that's really like the, the approach I'm taking is that like, you know, I'm going to have interesting conversations with all different, um, all different guests and, and it be like a little peek down into this rabbit hole that I've, um, that I've chosen to, uh, to pursue you know, the last several years. Awesome. What is the number one, probably a hard question to, to answer, but if you could talk to someone who had an open mind, right? And you would say, hey, you should really check out this rabbit hole. Which rabbit hole would you recommend somebody go and check out right now? I'm curious. 
Well, I, I always like to start with, and I've been doing this to like my buddies this over this last year, you know, like lifelong buddies is I always like to start, start with flat earth and really interesting. And and I've been, and I've been advised by, uh, (laughs) by my truther friends that, you know, that is not the way to do it because like (laughs) that is the biggest of all, which is why I like to start with that one because it's like, once you start on that and you see it, like, but the, but it's also an easy one to um to scoff at you know it's it's an easy one to like so the the you know so like while i like uh i like going down the the uh the flat earth you know the, it's basically we don't know that it's flat give give, give us a taste give yeah, us a we taste don't know, okay you don't know it's flat per se but we do know that it's definitely not a spinning ball right there is okay. zero evidence that any of us have experienced in our lives that 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 support a spinning ball theory at all. So, you know, and it goes, there's a, there's so many different things. Um, for one, like the engineering of bridges, right? Like on a, the curve of the earth, I'm going to butcher this cause I don't, I don't really have any reason to memorize these numbers, but like for every mile, the curvature should account for like, I don't know, several inches. Right. So the fact that you could see the Chicago skyline, from Michigan and from Indiana is ridiculous, right? Um, every bridge, every canal that's ever been built or engineered, they, they're they not accounting curve, right? You know, why do planes only take these certain routes when if looking at this globe, it'd be shorter to go this, you know, underneath and go south. Like there's, so hmm. there's a lot of, there's tons of evidence that point to a flat earth and, I guess like the most obvious would be like if you look at the ocean or the horizon, the horizon is always flat, right? And then you then you learn that NASA um, uses fisheye lenses, all of these images that were given of of our of planet Earth are all CGI, one hundred percent of them. So wait, 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 wait. So do you think we've never left Earth? There's no outer space. Yeah. I do actually. Then that's like a. There's like I believe there's a firmament. Um, okay. What it what it's made of? I don't know. I don't even know that it's something like tangible that we can, I guess, like explain. But, mm-hmm. but you know, I have seen videos from um, from independent sources that have sent rockets up and like at like a certain altitude. I forget if it was like maybe seventy thousand feet. You know, this mm-hmm. rocket that's spinning super fast. Right. All of a sudden, like stops and is just like barely rotating you know and it's like what stopped it it did there was no like explosion or collision but it just stopped right. you know so so i believe we're in a contained system i Kinda don't know like what's the out there. yeah and then any you know and there's and the number one user of helium in the world is nasa satellites are not floating around in orbit they're satellites which means they're actually suspended by helium balloons that's why sometimes they crash and you know crash in people's property so there's just you, the more you the more you get into it you learn like that's nasa all they do is lie and yeah they yeah. account they account for i believe a 53 million dollars a day budget and it's wow. just a lie to us um the moon landing is probably where people should start on their truther journey because it yeah. is the most fucking hilarious I mean, ridiculous so thing you've ever it, seen yeah when it comes to the moon i have 
this is the thing because I'm not sure about the flat earth. I would have to go down that rabbit hole. So I do believe there is an outer space just, just from what I've researched so far, but with the moon, I kind of feel scammed. And so I always felt that the moon landing was fake as far as what they've presented to us, like what the, what we saw on television in the 60s. I don't think you that was real. You that the president yeah, called on exactly. a landline no, to the moon? No, no. Oh. I, I definitely believe that was fake. However, from the research I've been doing, I feel like we did actually get to the moon, but that moon landing was fake. And so the research I've been seeing is that we did land on the moon and that we saw aliens, but that the moon itself is not an actual moon. And that, this is gonna sound crazy, that the moon is hollow and that there's beings that live inside the moon. So I don't know, that's the theory that I've come to so far, yeah. the research rabbit hole I've gone down. Another rabbit hole I've gone down is that there's an inner earth. And again, I'm sharing all of this, guys. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I'm an expert. These are all just theories. None of us really know, right? At the end of the day, I never claim to say that I know. In a way, mm -hmm. these are kind of the theories that I find are fun and just kind of like, well, who knows? Um, but also all of the disclosure that we've been getting from for aliens, do you believe in aliens? I guess that's my next question. I don't know. To be honest, that's one of those things that like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to say I don't care, but I don't. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I don't give that much thought. Like, you know, yeah. like inherently like some things that are more intriguing than others. And uh, I mean, outer space aliens from another planet. Not really. That's not really because I believe, like I said, I believe like we're an enclosed system. I don't know what's beyond that. But I got to say, the idea of another other species being here. Yeah. I kind of believe that. And for, for a couple different reasons, like, you know, the reptilian shapeshifter thing is a conversation or a topic <laughs> of conversation that I've had with friends this year that is like a fun one to have for me. My wife thinks it's like demonic. She's like, repulsed by that <laughs> conversation. Um, but I mean, I've, I've seen some videos of like these shapeshifter people, like moving their Adam's apple yeah, around. Like, but then you got, you got the video and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Do you know. I don't know. Really but but the reason why I don't count the the you know different species or alien here is my friend Anthony DiClemente, Um, he's been going on this. He started on this truth or journey. He's been trailblazing all year. And one thing that like in a, that came up in a conversation with him that that really resonated with me was, you know, when you're talking about you know you know a lot of these theories about like the nefarious goals or objectives of you know the powers that be whatever you want to call them these like oh quote unquote elites or the ruling the ruling class of our of our world what I, what seems to be the most difficult for people to i guess accept as possibility is the nefarious agenda even though it's documented like this agenda 21 agenda 2030 the georgia guidestones like it's there like the it's right there in black and white. Literally, it's written in stone that they want the population to be 500 million. It's currently seven and a half of us are on that 500 million list, right? So, like, we should all be aware and concerned about that. But what he said in a conversation that I that really, really seemed to hit the nail on the head was that it's like I don't think that I think a lot of people can't it's hard for them to comprehend or to consider that there is these nefarious agendas because they're so dark. They are so evil. And 
And his theory was like, because our species, our human species don't have that level of evil or hate in us. And that that's why that's, that's so maybe that that is a good explanation for this nefarious agenda. Those people are different from us, whatever they are. They're, they're certainly another level of, of that we can even like comprehend. comprehend so to me, right. that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Part of uh, the, the um, uh, pandemic bill, I'll call it that, is, uh, is that there's a 180 day disclosure for aliens. I don't know if you knew that. So, you know, the clock is ticking. We'll see. We'll see what happens. 2021, yeah, I, mean, I feel like will be even crazier than 2020. So yeah. uh, interesting for sure. Well, well it I, started uh, off pretty crazy. Started off crazy. It started off with a bang, for so. sure. So um, by the time this podcast airs, I'm sure we'll have even more answers. It's just like every day I wake up, I'm like, okay, what's happening today? So it's definitely entertaining. Well, Nick, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. I know we've gone through a slew of different topics. Um, but before we end, I kind of want to end with some tools that we can share with our audience that have been listening to us as you've been sharing your journey. And so one of the things I want to talk to you about, because we were talking about this a little bit offline, is um, your cold plunges, um, <laughs> which I know you invited me to. And eventually I will take you up on your offer. But yeah. can you talk to us about that? Yeah, conveniently, I have a feeling you're probably going to wait till spring, but um, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, it is, it is very cold right now. I mean, I'm, so, like, I'm actually still like warming up because I did one, we did one earlier today, uh, a couple hours ago, and it's extreme right now. These are extreme conditions. So, um, but cold plunging is, uh, yeah, it's like, I mean, that came along with my, in my, uh, in my biohacking journey and uh, it's, it's become like one of my favorite pastimes or things to do, I guess, especially like in large natural bodies of water, like Lake Michigan. I mean, Lake Michigan is like arguably like the ultimate, you know, cause it's, it's cold almost year round. Like there's only a few months where it's like not really cold plungeable, you know? And there's something about being in like a large body of water that like charges you up. It like probably something to do with like the, you know, negative electrons or, you know, whatever, however you explain that. But yeah, it, it does a lot of things for you. It, it really, it really causes your body to really initiate or, or crank up the volume on a lot of different functions, you know, like your immune system is cranked up. It activates your brown fat, which is actually the good fat that's like around, it's in your shoulders, it's around some of your organs. And that actually helps your body to burn white fat, which is the fat that we don't want. It crushes inflammation. Uh, my wife has some autoimmune, so she's always battling inflammation. And it, and it, the way that it, it reduces inflammation so drastically, it's hard to really put into words. But I can tell you that, you know, the sense of calmness you feel in your body after you do a, a, a real cold plunge like that is indescribable it's like a level of, of inner calm that you can't you can't achieve any other way at least that i know of um and provides great sleep yeah so and, and like and you feel like this natural high immediately when it's over and it really like lasts throughout the day so i highly recommend cold how plunging. long do you stay in the water for once you're in it it depends like this time of year when it's this cold like a minute is enough oh okay um, Oh, so you're not like chilling in there for 10 minutes or nothing. Okay. No, I mean, like I, you know, uh, my buddy Colby that went with us today, he was like, 
he was saying that he thought we should go five minutes today. And I was like laughing at him. I'm like, yeah, right. It's like not even possible. We wouldn't even be able to move. But I think, I think we could, I think you could, but like we jumped in and it was a little deeper. So we couldn't stand where we were. So we had to tread water. And since it was so cold, like I found that having to tread water actually made your extremities colder faster. So like my fingers and hands felt like ice blocks. My, my toes and feet were like ice blocks. Um, Goodness. But as the, as the temperature, as the water temperature, right, you know, gets a little bit warmer, a little bit warmer, you basically just like multiply that number, you know? So if it's, if it's like in the 50, if the water's like in the 50s or 60s, then you'd want to go like five minutes, 10 minutes, but you know, like your body, you push it as long as you can, basically, gotcha. you know, wow. and all you got to awesome. do, all you have to do, like your whole, your, your entire, like objective while you're, while you're in the plunge is to control your breath because when you control your breath that controls your heart rate and you're and you're essentially teaching your body to handle extreme stress so then mm. the day-to-day stress that we all face feels much less stressful yeah no Got easy it. breezy man i was just in a yeah it's great okay all right okay i think maybe i will commit maybe i think all right. I'm going to try the cold showers because right. I've been watching my face with cold water because I had another guest on. He's like, I've been taking cold showers for two years. So I keep hearing it. And that's why I love I love hosting this podcast because I've been asking guests for their tools and I've been implementing little things here and there. So it's like pushing me to be better. So I appreciate you sharing. Uh, and with that, I want to ask you actually about your morning routine and what you kind of do to kind of get yourself mentally fit and prepared and uh, launch yourself for the day and, and pretty much lead a high vibe life. If you can share that with us. Yeah. Um, okay. So my routine is pretty steady. Um, I work out fasted, um, followed by a cold press celery juice and the mo and our morning mojo, just to explain for those that aren't familiar. Um, it's, it's kind of like that, that morning cocktail that people do with lemon, apple cider vinegar, Himalayan salt. And then we also uh, include magnesium in that blend. So that's good. It's like, it like really like jump starts like your, your detox pathways, you know, the, the apple cider vinegar is great for like, kind of like flushing out pathogens and such. Um, so it's good for like a detox and like, you know, boost your metabolism, start the day and celery juice. The hype is real. You know, celery juice hit that, you know, the craze started a couple of years ago and I was, I'll admit, I was like one of the first to scoff at it. Um, I thought, you know, people were calling the store like, do you guys have celery juice? I'm like, yeah, we got celery juice in about five different things, but we're not selling plain celery juice. Like this is a superfood juicery, you know, it's a little basic, but I started, I, you know, I started reading up on it. So I was like, what, what is up with this? Like a lot of people were calling for it. So I started reading up on it. The medical medium um, is the guy that really like, really is like the godfather of the celery juice craze. And the, the, I mean, the information was staggering. I, I told my wife, I'm like, hey, if this is half true, then we have to have this because it's all about like autoimmune, flushing out pathogens, viruses, oh, oh, you know, it's autoimmune supportive. So, you know, help your body, your liver, your kidneys, your gut health, really everything. And um, so we just started doing it on our own. And sure enough, it was like a game changer for her and I. She's had celery juice virtually every morning for two years now. 
Um, wow. So it's, it's non-negotiable for us, you know, and obviously like there's sometimes where like we just can't get it. Um, but um, so that's a big part. So the fasted workout, celery juice, sauna, shower, finished with at least a couple minutes of cold. So wow. that's my, that's my, uh, that's my ideal morning routine. And it's not, it doesn't take long, you know, and that fast workout could be a run for two, two, three miles. But yeah, that helps me like get my mind right. And, uh, and feels like that's how I, you know, that's that those lead to the best days. Amazing. Very solid. Well, I appreciate it. Last question I want to close out with is what is just some life advice or wisdom that you would like to share with our audience uh, before we close out this episode that has kind of just helped you or uh, maybe like a mantra that kind of sticks with you as you uh, navigate your journey? I, I think it's one that came with, uh, with, with the, uh, the beautiful year of 2020. And that is uh, to not chase status or money. Um, they're both fake, you know, like in a sense, like, I mean, literally our money is, is, is debt paper, uh, not backed by anything, but really like pursuing your, your purpose, you know, remaining in logos or in integrity and honor, like doing good, doing good for others. That's what life is about. And that will like, you know, then like, Wealth is health. Wealth is family. Wealth is community. Wealth is love. Like that's what comes. That's what, that's what we should be chasing. But you can't just, you can't just, those, those are, all of those are, I, I think they're attained organically by doing right, doing good. And, um, and really just, you know, living a life, uh, you know, the God intended. So That was it. And it's, and it's easy. I'll admit it's like much, it's much easier said than done. And as much as I, I would like to say like, Oh yeah, I've always done that. Like, not really. I mean, like, you know, money is, is the biggest stressor in probably almost everyone's lives. And status is just something that is ingrained in us in this culture, you know, like chasing that status. So, um, but those, but those are two things that, um, I think, would serve everybody well. And, uh, and that have just, I, I see it now that I, I feel like I'm, I'm consciously pursuing a life in that way. Like I could see that, you know, it's really, it's really, it's, it's really paying off already. You know, I feel like, you know, my life, my business, my relationships, my family, everything is in a better place as a result. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate that. Well, before we log off, I just want to plug your business and just everything that you're doing. Um, so first and foremost, obviously the podcast. And I just want to thank you for believing in me. Um, you're my first uh, client uh, for me taking a chance and a leap on my uh, entrepreneurial pursuits. So I appreciate you. Um, and so let me just put this on the screen. Or for those of you listening to the podcast, it's called The Bosco Show. And so that is Nick Boscovich. Uh, podcast. So you can listen to that wherever uh, podcasts are streaming. Um, and yeah, those are just honest and authentic conversations with people that are on the journey of life along with Nick. Um, anything you want to add to the podcast? No, no. Uh, just tune in. There's going to be all sorts of different guests. We've recorded our first episode with, yes. uh, with Duke Tanner, who's oh, going to be, amazing. I think he's, uh, 
I think that'll be an intriguing one for all. So yeah, he's an yeah. incredible story for sure. And then yeah. last but not least, uh, if you want to follow Nick's journey, you can now follow him on Instagram. So if you want to follow his store, it's at High Vibe uh, Shy. Hope I said that correct. And then also at the Bosco Show, uh, both on Instagram. So that way you can see what he's up to. And uh, yeah, with that, I just want to thank you, Nick. And uh, I know we're going to obviously stay in touch. And yep. uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for having Take me, Tanisha. I'm looking forward to working together. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode brought you value. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment and go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. It does make a difference. Thank you again, and until next time.